Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hi, Global Investors. Before we get started with today's episode, are you looking to finance your U.S. real estate investment as a foreign investor? Contact UniversalCommercialCapital.com. They do not require any credit history, employment, income verification, or permanent residency status. All you need to have is the minimum 35% down payment in a U.S. banking institution for two months. Rates start at 6% with a 30-year term. The whole approval process can be completed in 30 days. Call 888 888- 334-9039 or email them at info at universalcommercialcapital.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Jorge Contreras. Jorge is a real estate investor with a focus on Airbnb investing and mentoring. He earns passive income by strategically choosing and managing Airbnbs. So thanks so much for being on the show, Jorge. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on, Charles. It's uh, quite an honor to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have someone on with different special, uh, you know, special skills that they work with. And yours being Airbnb is not something that we typically speak about on the show. So, can you give us a little background on yourself prior to starting your current business and real estate career? Uh, prior to real estate and Airbnb. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Great question. So my first business was uh, I was 20 years old, uh, years ago in 2012. I became a professional uh, dance instructor. So I used to teach uh, bachata, which is a sensual partner dance from the Dominican Republic. And I got to travel to over 25 countries. I was able to create uh, with my partner the very first bachata Latin dance festival in Los Angeles, the first nightclub, the first team. So we definitely pioneered and got a lot of experience when it comes to like personal branding, marketing, sales, and building team systems, operations. I had eight streams of income and then uh, was able to start utilizing that income to reinvest, to invest it into real estate back in uh, 2012. So that's what I did. I created a really successful and big personal brand in the Latin dance space. And um, I no longer do anything with Latin dance. Everything I do now, it has to do with real estate investing and teaching others how to create financial freedom. So why did you choose real estate as your investment field call? Yeah, great question. So as I was traveling, when I was a teenager, one of my goals and my visions in life was to be able to travel to see the world. And as my relationship started to get more serious with my wife, girlfriend at the time in 2013, 14, 15, I didn't want to continue that lifestyle where I was always away from her. And where in the future, we were planning on having kids, which now we have a 10 month young daughter. And I didn't want to, you know, repeat that cycle where like I grew up without a father and I didn't want to be that dad that was traveling 80% of the time and was never home. And so I wanted to do something that I, where I could create passive income and make money in my sleep and where it would give me not just time and financial freedom, but also location freedom Mm. and the way I've structured my Airbnb and real estate business. It's been exactly that. We run it exactly like an online business. So I could live, I live in Los Angeles now, but I could live anywhere in the world and the income would be the same. Now you started in real estate with Airbnb investing. 
I started with uh, long-term rentals in 2012 and got into the short-term rental space in 2017. Awesome. Okay. So can you explain a little bit about the Airbnb investment model that you use and that you teach to your students? Yeah. So there's three ways that you can acquire, launch, and automate Airbnbs. And that's where you buy properties. You could also sublease, which is if you, if I was to rent one of your properties, Charles, say at $1,200 a month, maybe that's for market rent. And if I am able to successfully generate, say, 2400 then I'd be in the arbitrage model. So the difference would be mine. And then finally, the third option is where you can manage other people's Airbnbs. So imagine you have a, an apartment unit of 10 units and three of those are an Airbnb. And you're like, hey, Jorge, I know this is a great option, but I have so much going on. Can you manage it for me? I would charge you a percentage of the gross revenue and provide a hands-off experience to you. So that's what we call co-hosting. So I have some on all three, on the buy side, on the assembly side, and also on the co-hosting side. And my students are all doing all three strategies or one of, or one or two of the strategies as well. Awesome. So how do you locate an area or neighborhood that you're going to target and then a specific property to, to list with Airbnb? Yeah, awesome question. There is a software called Mash Advisor where we, where we are able to look at what Airbnbs are already generating in any area. So I can go in there and put, you know, Long Beach, California, or Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Orlando, and it'll tell me, hey, these properties here are generating, you know, this much and this much. So if I see that there's properties that say host between eight to 12 people, and maybe they're three twos and, you know, within 10 minutes from the beach, or 10 minutes from Disneyland and I can see, you know what, I see that they're making between four to 6,000 a month. I'm able to see how much they've done in the last 12 months. And then say the average is four to six grand, but I can see that you can rent these properties for like 1800. Then I know there's a pretty good spread. And that's how we're able to then find uh, similar properties that are not yet on Airbnb and we can launch them. Okay. So you're researching the areas, you're figuring out which ones perform the best, and then you, you can target those areas. So what types of returns do you usually see from Airbnb when they're properly managed? Maybe what would be unproperly and then what would be a proper, uh, you know, return you would see? Yeah, it, de it depends on the strategy, but uh, one of the most popular strategies is subleasing. And usually in a sublease, you got to pay the first month a deposit and then some furniture and decor. Hopefully you don't have to completely furnish the property. If you did and you were to spend say 10 grand to 12 grand in like furniture and things like that, you might be looking at like, depending on the area, three to seven months to make all your money back and be at a break even point, right? And then after that, you'd be like in profit. If you go with the co-hosting route, what I really like about it is that you're in profit, pretty much infinite return on investment. You don't have to put any money out of pocket because you're offering a management service. So you start cash flowing on day one. So you're just in the co-host model, which is something new. I've never even, I've seen it before in Airbnb, but I never knew what it really meant. With the co-host model, you're really just fine tuning another host's property, let's say that they've subleased, that they own, whatever it might be. Now explain that as that co-host, I imagine if you're coming as a co-host, you're a super host or something like this. So explain how, I mean, how many, what's the vacancy or usually are you guys, you know, how does that usually work your vacancy per month and um, the, how the super host helps you being a co-host and what a super host is? Yeah, great question, Charles. So 
for my portfolio, uh, me and my partner, we have about 16 Airbnbs right now uh, combined on the own sublease and co-host. Most of them are on the sublease side. And uh, we have about an 80% occupancy. Obviously, it's dropped right now due to the mm -hmm. corona situation. People are quarantined and whatnot. But uh, this too will pass, right? We've been through, uh, the, 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 you know, 32 recessions before. So it's just a matter of time. So, and then as far as super hosts, you have to have uh, 4.8 or higher with at least 10 reservations um, and um, keeping a 98% communication score. And when you do, like when I stay at Airbnbs, I only look at Superhost properties. I don't even, because why, why do I want to look at the properties that are 4.0 or 4.3, right? So I'm only looking at properties that average 4.8 or higher because I know that they're great properties and, you know, otherwise they wouldn't be super, super host. So whenever you're a super host, you can demand higher prices and of course have more occupancy for, you know, just having a better overall property and system going on. When you're doing the co-hosts, you're bringing the super hosts, you're bringing the ability to get them to that 80% occupied um, level. Where are you, what do you usually, what do you usually charge? How do you charge for this as the co-host model? Yeah, for the for the three on the co-host that we have right now, it's a twenty-two percent of the gross revenue. So the cleaning fee gets first passed on to us because when you look at Airbnb revenue, they put the cleaning and the total revenue in one basket. So we break it down and we're like, okay, well, how much of that revenue is cleaning? That cleaning fee gets passed on to us, which is a pass-through expense because then it goes to our cleaning staff. And we keep about 10% of that fee, uh, the cleaning fee, which is slightly marked up for replenishables like toilet paper, paper towels, body wash, shampoo, and whatnot. And then of the remaining revenue excluding the cleaning fee, we take 22% of that. Okay. And then 30% is pretty normal. Oh, okay. All right. I got you. And then obviously when you see the listing, Airbnb clearly marks their fee in there that they're charging as well. Is that correct? Yeah, it's slightly below 3%. Okay. All right. So you, you touched on earlier, and uh, it's a question that I've been waiting to ask you about how you and your students are reacting to uh, COVID-19. And is that knocked out everything? Or is it just, I mean, how, how's Airbnb talked to their hosts? Yeah. You said, how's Airbnb what? Like how Air, how's Airbnb? I heard Airbnb refunded like a ton of like everybody, right? And then how are they working with you guys saying that when can you start again? I mean, yeah. So essentially, what Airbnb as a company has done is they created like a really like a one sided structure where the guest can get an entire refund for any bookings from like March. 14th or March 3rd, March 14th to April 14th, 100%. Uh, looks like anywhere in the world, no matter what, due to the situation. However, there's a lot of owners or people subleasing or co-hosting, mainly on the owning and subleasing side, right? People still have to pay their rents and their mortgages. And so obviously that creates an issue because, you know, it's like, how long can you sustain yourself? And so what they, what they should have done is some type of 50, 50 structure where it's like, Hey, your reservation was, you know, $800. You're going to get 50 back and 50 goes to the host so they can offset their expenses. That would have been like a win-win situation. 
but that's not what they've done. So a lot of hosts, you know, are, are like furious right now, uh, especially the, you know, the host who they treat this like a job and literally this is their paycheck. Um, you know, that, that's unfortunate. And what we've done to, you know, do what we can, you know, do what you can with what you have, where you're at. So what we've done is we've structured uh, myself and all my students, we've edited like the listing titles and we used words like sanitized, you know, private, quarantine home, things like that. And it's helped a lot. I mean, one of my students, I'm actually going to bring him on tonight's coaching call to share with all the newer students how, how he's done it. And he actually brought up the idea. And so he's booked from now and all of April, like, like his, his mortgage will be completely paid 100%. And that's awesome. And that's definitely not most cases for my properties that me and my partners, uh, we're probably like at a 40% occupancy right now. So it's going to cover a lot of the payments, but we've been restructuring and creating agreements where the landlords are going to pay the rest, uh, at least for the month of April to create a win-win because it also wouldn't be in their best interest to try to market a property at fair market rent right now during, you know, the situation. So we're just creating short-term solutions to be able to to move forward but you know a lot of people are saying this should last another two to six weeks and then things will start get back to normal and i think that um as soon as things get better charles people who postpone their vacations there's going to be like an influx of tourism and travel and air, that's when airbnb hosts are going to make up some of what they missed out on yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, it's just, it's just right now in a pause and that's for everybody that's involved with hospitality or travel. Um, so what are, what are some of the best ways to protect against downside risk with Airbnbs? Let's say in a normal environment, obviously this is a, you know, a black swan type episode, but say for example, like cities changing regulations, stuff like that. How, how does someone protect against that? If they're going in I mean, owning it, obviously co-host, you don't really have too much of a risk on that, I would imagine. But if you're subleasing, obviously, or if you're, you know, obviously signing on debt, you have a mortgage. Yeah, one of the, the number one thing is not going into an area where Airbnbs are not allowed, right? And when you call the building department or whoever's in charge in your city, the three options or three answers they're going to give you is one, we do allow Airbnbs, you just need to get a license and then you're good. And number two, they could say, we don't have an ordinance yet. And number three, they could say, we don't allow Airbnbs. And I would say it's almost like when, you know, when I invest, I look at like, okay, this is like for sure, it's almost guaranteed, but it's very conservative, not very risky. And then I have like my middle bucket that this is somewhat conservative, but you know, a little bit. And this is like really risky, right? Except. Uh, on the Airbnb side, I would not go on that third bucket and I would focus more on the middle two with primarily only launching Airbnbs in areas where there is an ordinance and where they are allowed and there's a ton of them. And so th that would be the first thing because you don't, you wouldn't, you know, you, you want to build a, 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 a sustainable and scalable business. But if you don't, if, if you're going to be subject to ordinances, that, that makes it really risky.
So when you're doing a lease, a sublease, because obviously this is not going to be a normal lease, typical lease that you're going to get from a landlord because in every landlord lease I've seen for a 12 month lease, it has something in there about not allowing subleasing. So explain the agreement and explain if you have some sort of backdoor in there, if the go- if there's a government regulation that changes. Yeah, great question. So we are very transparent with the landlords from the very beginning. We let them know that we are you know, a short-term rental vacation and corporate housing company. And there's a lot of things that we do to make sure that we run a smooth operation. So we have like noise sensors inside the property, external cameras, a quiet policy from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m., um, you know, maximum two to three cars to be able to park, uh, a strict no party, no event policy. We collect a deposit from each guest. Usually when people try to throw a party, it's always locals. So you're not going to have somebody from Australia come to Los Angeles to throw a party, right? It's usually local. So if it's a local and you're like, why are they trying to book in LA if you're from LA? And you can start digging and finding out and like letting them know, you know, just reminding them. And so we do a lot of things like that, that we talk about in the initial conversation to help create, you know, peace of mind. And that definitely helps. And as far as the back door, I mean, we don't, we don't, um, I mean, the only back door is that if there was to change an ordinance, like say they allowed Airbnb and all of a sudden they changed it, then the best case scenario at that point is to put a long-term tenant for the remainder of the lease, mm. break even, collect your deposit, and then move on to the next one. Obviously, right now, like you said, we're, this is the black swan. So we've been talking to the landlords and just creating uh, short-term solutions uh, for the time being. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way of doing it. Or also just going to the landlord and saying, Hey, if I rent this out to a good tenant, uh, you know, we, we part ways and um, you're transferring the lease to this, this, this party. Um, That's awesome. That's a great way of doing it. I wasn't thinking that the, um, so I hear you speaking a lot of like, you know, you're talking about the, you're talking about the party thing, which is kind of cool because I was on your, uh, your Facebook group and you have, you're talking about some sort of piece of technology, I guess, an app that can tell you how many people are at your property. Is that, what is that? What is that? It's very interesting. I never knew that existed. I don't know about it, but I have a student that is super, um, like he goes into all the detail, all the analytics, like he thinks like an engineer and he's just a really smart guy. And he actually is the one that told the rest of our students about it. And I honestly don't even know enough about it to share, but I just know that with this app, you're able to detect like how many cell phones are connected to the Wi-Fi or something along those lines. And they will tell you how many people are there, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's interesting. All these different, you don't really notice when you're renting an Airbnb, but then you kind of have an idea. I mean, imagine if you got a text message, Hey, you guys have so many people at the house or something like this. I imagine if they're location sensors or whatever it might be, but, um, so with your, with your teaching, with your mentoring, you talk a lot about working on your business versus working in your business. So what activities should Airbnb investors be focusing on, uh, to be working on the business rather than in the business all the time? Yeah, great question. So the three main operations when running an Airbnb is cleaning, maintenance, and communication. They're going to be ongoing, and it's like the three essentials part of running a successful business. And there's a lot of Airbnb hosts and people that do this in other businesses, but if you're doing communication and you're also cleaning the property, 
and you're also doing maintenance on the property, because you're working in the business, you don't really have time or see the vision and value of getting another one. Or if you do, you're kind of like, oh man, I can only clean two a day. So I'm pretty tapped out. And now you're running your business like a job. So in the book, E-Myth Revised by Michael E. Gerber, he talks about the three levels of entrepreneurship. There's a technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. Technician, manager, entrepreneur. So the technician, all they care about is what do I do and how do I do it? They're just doing, doing, doing. They're that solopreneur that wears the hat. and They're all the hats in the business. They do marketing, sales, client delivery, customer service, like everything. And they're very much in the business. And they don't, you know, they, because they run their business like a job, they can't, you know, if they're thinking of going to Hawaii for a week, they, they're like, ah, I'm going to stop making income because if I stop, the business stops. So they're trading their hours for dollars, no leverage. And then the next level is where you become like the manager. And now you hire out those three positions, um, uh, you know, you hire three technicians. So now you could be more implementing like business uh, structure, more systems. And now you're communicating with each technician on the cleaning, the maintenance and the communication. And then of course, you know, you could start growing and focusing more on acquisitions on more on like income producing activities, focusing on like the 80, 20 rule and you focus on acquisitions, implement the system. And then the highest level is the entrepreneur and that's the visionary you're you're no longer working in the business you're working on the business now you hire you know maybe you hire three managers and each manager oversees five properties and now you got 15 airbnbs you communicate with your managers then they communicate with all the technicians below and you could focus on again the 20 percent of activities that generate 80 percent of the results so as an entrepreneur and a visionary we've hired a manager that oversees our portfolio and communicates directly with the entire team. So if you want to truly grow and scale, not just an Airbnb business, but any business, you got to start thinking like a visionary and you got to start delegating and building a team and systems and asset protection. So this way, if you go on vacation for seven days, you make the same amount of money as if you were back home. Yeah, you're getting you're you're outsourcing a lot of those low value lifetime value tasks off your plate, and um, and yeah, actually running it like a business. So, well, how does someone go about systemizing or automating their Airbnb business? What are some of the first steps that you suggest someone to to take? Yeah, so one of those things is hiring a cleaning person. Obviously, when you interview them, you want to make sure that you delegate everything that involves any in-person stuff, obviously cleaning, taking out the trash, um, replenishable. So, you know, like keeping track of toilet paper, paper towels, and, you know, once a month go to Costco and then have like a storage, keep track of that. If the guests are requesting more blankets or a fan or a heater, you know, to be accessible. So ideally you want to hire a cleaning person that lives with as close as possible to the property, hopefully no more than 15 minutes. Um, you want to make sure that you add them as a co-host to the Airbnb. This way they have access to the calendar and you don't have to be communicating when to clean. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is you can hire virtual assistants like in the Philippines on a website called onlinejobs.ph. And for 20 bucks a month, you can have someone uh, do all the communications uh, for your property, you want to create like a Google Doc with all the FAQs, and then you want to build onto that document as more questions come up. 
until your virtual assistant knows your property inside and out. And then for maintenance, you again want to hire like a, a local handyman that could be on call and available. And ideally your cleaning crew should communicate directly with them. So like one time, I think this was the first time this was me just educating my cleaning crew. I got a call saying, Hey, it looks like there's a plumbing issue. And I said, great, who's going to fix it? <laughs> you know, like instead of coming to me with a problem, come to me with a solution mm -hmm. and just teaching them to be like managers and operators and come with, come, come to me with three solutions before you call me type of thing. And they already know and just, you know, staying on top of it because these things have to be handled with urgency. And if I'm away from my phone and guests checked out at 10 and new guests come at three and you waited, you know, so just training them, also building that trust. And um, yeah, let me know if I answered that correctly. Yeah, for sure. It's really putting a, putting a team in place. And it's great that FAQ with a VA is a, is a fantastic, which you could use for any type of business. Um, that's a great way of taking so much off your plate because a lot of that stuff is just copy and paste. Exactly. You're getting the same questions all day long. And even if you have an FAQ page, they're not going to read it. Obviously there's not one on Airbnb, yeah. but um, so it's great. You need to have someone there doing that. And then all, as yeah, the handyman, because I've seen it before where they have someone coming in like five or six hours and they have to have that, the plumbing issue uh, rectified before they come in. And it's kind of, you want your team to call you and say, Hey, new person's in there now, this is what we just did in the last four hours. And kind of, you're just getting a bill in your email or in your mail. So, um, so you mentor obviously a lot of new investors. What mistakes do you commonly see new investors make? One of the mistakes that people will make is they see asking for help and asking for support as a weakness rather than a strength. So a good example is the they're setting up the Airbnb, right? Whether it's on the buying, subleasing, or co-hosting side. And they have like two people setting up the entire property that, and it's gonna take them like 10 days because it's so much work. Mm. And so I always tell my students in the beginning, like, hey, you know, ask each other. A lot of my students that live in the same cities will come out and support each other. It's also part of like a learning experience. And then, you know, they support the newbies and then, the, once they become more experienced, they support the newbies and it's just like a great ecosystem. And so I always say, make sure you have a, as many people as possible. Like I, when I launched like my first four, I would have like pizza parties and I would go on social media and say, hey, who wants to learn uh, and just get some hands-on experience and you're gonna get some free pizza. And I'd get six, seven, eight people, you know, nine people setting up and we'd be done in like two days. Wow. So I would say that's definitely uh, a big one right there. Another one is um, just make sure that, you know, you don't over leverage yourself. So you don't want to be doing the communication for like five or six Airbnb. So I would say after you have two for the third one and moving forward, you want to really start delegating those communications because you actually lose money if you don't. Those are like two to three dollar activities and you should focus on higher income producing activities. And so this is where figuring out how much your hour is worth is a great strategy. So if you take your desired income and divide it by 2000, you're going to get your desired hourly. So $100,000 a year divided by 2000 is $50 an hour. And if you're someone that's making say 60 bucks and that 60,000 a year, and you want to get to hundred K a year, you should not do anything that is uh, less than $50 or maybe even $30 and below. So don't mow your lawn, 
don't do your laundry, don't wash your car, like all these things you can delegate for 10 to $25 an hour and you should be focusing on those $50 an hour activities. Yeah, it's amazing how many things that you can take off your plate with just a virtual assistant and they don't even need like a huge time requirement. You can start them off. We have some, we started off and we just say, hey, we're starting off at $5 or five hours a week, right? And exactly. then we kind of, we just add more stuff on and add more stuff on after they start working with you. And um, it's great. In the beginning, you do have to, that's a great thing about when you're systemizing to to note everything that you're doing in the process for everything you're, you're trying to at some point take off your plate. And then you can just kind of send that over to them and they have an idea, they have a plan for what what's going on. And then also, you know, when you properly spend the time, the hours it takes to get someone to where you want them as a VA and to take over your role fully, it takes many hours. And I think people underestimate that. They just hire them and say, okay, I'm going on vacation, which <laughs> you've got to really now start. Now the work starts for the next maybe month, two months until it gets to where you want. But in, in month three, when it comes around, you're going to be very happy that you, you did those, those steps. But, um, so how has becoming a mentor played a role in your growth in business and personally? You know, I look back and mentors have changed my life when I, you know, ever since I was like 12 years old and my dad passed away from alcohol, I attracted my first mentor into my life. And I remember he sat with me it was my seventh grade substitute teacher, Mr. Parcell. And, you know, being in a person in his 30s and me being 12 years old, obviously having a lot of life experience, he said to me that I didn't have to repeat the patterns and I didn't have to be a product of my environment, that I could set a new standard for my younger siblings and that I could change the world. And so learning from someone else who, who had a great life and, or someone that just has the result and outcome that I desire Basically, what I'm doing is paying for speed. Like, yeah, I could just go through the YouTube videos and the books and, you know, but, you know, it might take me five to 10 times longer. And so throughout my life, I've always had mentors. I have multiple mentors now. And anytime I've wanted to get into a new industry or something new that I didn't have mastered, I've always asked myself one question, who is the very best at that already and how can I work with them to help me go further, bigger, faster, and stronger. And so essentially that's what I've done, you know, being 12 years uh, full-time business owner and building multiple seven-figure businesses, there's so much that I've learned over the years. And so when someone is coming in and it's their first time starting a business, being an Airbnb, there's so much that I could help them do and to, you know, to really kickstart their journey and I see it two ways, right? You either pay, make the investment in the front end or you pay the price in the back end. And the price is a lot more expensive because you got to reinvent the wheel, go through all the mistakes. And if you have that mindset of like, oh, I think I could do it on my own and, and uh, I'll just do it on my own. It's just going to take a long time. And that's okay for some people. I like to create bigger, faster results anytime I can. And so, so aside from that, I also did notice even uh, like a multiple X more of success in my life. When I went from focusing on myself and I started focusing on other people, it's like the universe just started blessing me and saying, wow. And that's, that's what I see as, um, you know, if I was to create just success for myself, it's like, I don't know, what's the point of that? And so the idea here is how can I share 
the, the golden nuggets? How can I share that learning curve and share it with someone else so that they don't have to go through what I went through and they can also create freedom for their family? So for me, a big part of my life is being in contribution and making a difference. Yeah, you, you went from trying to make money and starting a business and then you realize and discover a whole new purpose in your life that you didn't even know existed. And that's, you know, helping people find, you know, come to where you are. Yeah. And I'll tell you, um, it was very clear to me in like 2017, we created some accomplished, some massive goals that we had financially. And I remember I came home and me and my wife celebrated, we went out to eat. And then three days later, I just felt like empty. I was just like, huh, I don't feel like a million bucks, you know? Um, and, and that's what I realized is that I was just focusing on myself. And that's when it just became super apparent to me that I should share what I've learned with other people. And, and that makes me feel like a million bucks, just being in contribution and making a difference, like seeing some of my students that they actually now are able to spend time with their kids, with their spouse and, and just seeing their growth, man, that's just priceless. Yeah. Yeah, no, I it definitely, I agree. And um, how, how can people learn more about you and your business? And then any kind of links I'll put into uh, the show notes. Yeah, the best way would be on Instagram, uh, the Jorge Contreras. Um, I will be launching my personal brand website, the JorgeContreras.com in a few weeks. But uh, Instagram for now would be the way, uh, the best way. And uh, my email also Jorge at therealsystem.com. Okay. Awesome, Jorge. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, looking forward to uh, linking up with you in the future. Thank you, man. I appreciate your time, Charles. Talk to you soon. Take care. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.